Nothing is more gay than this. Everyone's so gay. Everyone's so hot. There is absolutely something for everyone. Yep, that's a queer vibe. <laughs> she is gay. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> I'm like, this does not feel heterosexual at no. all. No. <laughs> this is a gay movie. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Gaily Planet. Today, you will be listening to me and Jesse talk about Chuck Tingle's horror novel, Camp Damascus, and then you will be listening to me and Jesse talk to Chuck Tingle about his horror novel, Camp Damascus, and writing queer characters, and writing autistic characters, and being queer, and being autistic, and proving love is real, and all sorts of other wonderful things. If you only want to listen to the interview, skip ahead like an hour and two minutes or so, and you will find the interview. You don't have to have read the book to listen to the episode. I think it's extremely enjoyable, even if you haven't read the book. Um, Also, I want to let you know that both portions of this episode, both our discussion and our interview, are... 15 to 20 minutes longer on Patreon than they are here. And those episodes are both open to the public. If you would rather listen to the extended version, check the show notes for the links to both of those. And if you find that you enjoy hearing extended versions of our episodes, consider joining our Patreon. You can join for as little as $3 a month. And since our Patreon is non-hierarchical, every tier gives you access to our entire catalog and all of our episodes go up early with bonus content over there in addition to a bunch of other fun stuff that we do. So that's there just letting you know. And yeah, now I'm going to let the newspaper sound turn and you will be inside of our episode. Hello, and welcome to The Gaily Planet, a podcast where two queer nerds talk about media we love. I am Lark Malachi Gray. And I am Jesse Blount, and I am proud to announce that we are talking about our fourth Chuck Tingle book, Camp Damascus. Hell yes. Our friend Chuck's first traditionally published novel, as the rest of them are self-published. I'm glad everyone else is realizing he's literally the best dude. Yeah, totally. Um, All right. Yeah. Happy Halloween month, everyone, by the by. And we are going to talk about Camp Damascus, in which Rose Darling, an evangelical Christian high school senior living in the town of Neverton, Montana, home of the Kingdom of the Pine Church and their 100% successful conversion camp, Camp Damascus, Rose learns that she has had her memories of her queer awakening and subsequent time at Camp Damascus wiped and has also been tethered to a demon named Pakid, who shows up every time Rose has gay thoughts. She runs away and teams up with Saul, a former Camp D counselor who, like Rose, has access to more memories of the camp than the average alum. They figure out how to kill their literal demons by summoning them and burning them alive. Rose reunites with her girlfriend Willow, and they and Saul break into the camp, kill all the memory-wiping demon worms, destroy the demon-tethering machine, and free all the demons who have been forced to work for the church. The demons immediately turn on the church leaders, because when you're from hell, you can literally eat the rich, and no one can stop you. (laughs) Having freed the campers and watched the baddies get dragged to hell, our trio leaves to start a new loud and proud queer life with their chosen family the end. Woohoo! And for today's headline, 
Fundy Christian cult so angry about young adults wanting to be consensually pounded in the butt that they jumpstart the apocalypse by introducing invasive species from a literal hell dimension. Facts. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Oh my gosh, what a book, what a book. So we are, as always, going to start things off with the front page where we talk about everything that doesn't go anywhere else. What would you like to start with? My first thing is that only the kind of ridiculous, repressed, white, fundy Christians are excited about adding extra garlic to their pasta sauce. (laughs) Um, Pasta sauce should have a minimum of like three to six garlic cloves in it. I mean, really anything you cook should have a minimum of garlic cloves let's be real um yeah no that line i feel like does so much (laughs) work it's so it's such effective writing to get across like oh 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 this is where we are yeah it's like oh is there oregano in there too oh my gosh uh spices are for the devil lark so there's (laughs) there's salt maybe pepper (laughs) speaking of you know basic fucking things being seen as sinful or decadent we have this whole thing where like rose is like ew coffee ew alcohol which i think is a really effective way to be like wait how old are you which i know is one of the sort of points of the book because it's like yeah those things are gross when you're like 14 you have to learn how to like them yeah no i mean we'll talk about earlier why Rose seems so much younger than her actual, like, numerical age. Right. But there's this, I don't know if it's an on-purpose joke, but there's this really incredible thing when they're at the coffee shop and she sort of, like, impulse orders because she has to. So she, like, glances at the board and just orders a thing. And she orders an Americano, which I assume is because, like, she loves America. Patriotism and, like, Christianity are, like, you know, one and the same. And just, like... That's so funny because literally there's like only one other thing you could order that is more bitter than an Americano. So like she ordered the bitterest coffee drink that you can possibly get. Okay. So listeners who don't know what an Americano is, it is espresso with hot water. And espresso is like basically a highly concentrated coffee drink. There's not as much liquid, but as many, as much coffee beans as like would make, I don't know, I'm not a coffee person. Half a pot of coffee is in like a like little shot glass of coffee instead, um, which I know because my wife is a coffee snob. I was listening to this part in the car and like when she's like, oh, I don't know what to do. I ordered Americano. I'm like, oh, no. And then she's like, without <laughs> milk or sugar. And I'm like, oh, no, because <laughs> I'm like, this is going to be the most like if you had licked the inside, if you'd like eaten some coffee grounds, it probably would not have been as bitter as what you're about drink i was just like oh no yeah same same (laughs) yeah i mean i love an americano double shot because you know otherwise it's just watery coffee but um i like coffee so it's definitely not where you where you start your coffee journey i don't know why she wasn't just like i'll have the same that's the best default when you don't know what to do in a situation like that yeah I do have to say, though, I appreciate us getting these little Chuck Tingleverse Easter eggs of mentioning both chocolate milk and spaghetti. 
<laughs> yeah, me too. I love it so much. Yeah, which for folks that haven't read other Chuck Tingle books often comes up as the preferred drink and meal of choice of his characters. Okay, so I think it's really funny that Willow, who is a goth girl, has changed her name to have a goth name, but she changed her name from something that other goth girls would 100% change their names to. <laughs> like, I was like, you already had a goth girl name. Like, your name is Magdalene. That is, like, peak goth girl name. <laughs> yeah, that's very... It's very, like, classic 70s, 80s goth name, and I'm like, okay, religious trauma, but yeah, you could have <laughs> really leaned into it. Yeah, yeah, religious trauma, but also, right, she's like a maligned biblical character so it's like a cool it's like naming yourself lilith you know right exactly yeah it's it's so it's so funny with with willow and her like i'm not like a witch i just love taxidermy and the wu-tang clan and like changing my name from magdalene to willow and i'm like okay (laughs) she'll be a witch in 10 years it's fine (laughs) (laughs) i'm about to say willow i don't know who you're trying to fool but like (laughs) you're definitely on the like goth witch pipeline of queer people so you just make just yeah she's like i don't believe in astrology i'm like just wait <laughs> you'll I get know. there <laughs> oh. um i'm sure you know this but listeners maybe don't uh sassafras was not banned actually for being a carcinogen it was banned because it is can be a drug very similar to ecstasy i will link a tiktok about it it's a song So I was like, sorry, let me get my brain in order. I started thinking about like that line happened and I was like, that's not true. But then later in the book, I was trying so hard to be like, what fucking drug is Rose on? Like the only drug that I know that has a trip as short as the one that she describes is Salvia. But I've never heard of Salvia doing what is happening to her the only drug honestly that i know consistently takes you in your memories like that is ayahuasca and i think that lasts like 24 hours and like most other hallucinogens you're looking at 10 hours minimum but usually more like 16 to 18 but then i was like but wouldn't it have been so fun and funny if we did know what drug it was and it was mda which (laughs) is made from sassafras and like the church has all these root beer keggers and then they use the root beer flavor to access her memories. That would actually would be really funny. Cause I also too was trying to figure out, I'm like, is this like ketamine? Like is she on mushrooms? Like what's happening? I, I don't, I don't think there's a real drug that could fit all of the parameters that we're given here. Yeah. It's just like some no dose from the gas station. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, it would be cool if it had been placebo because there's that whole thing about like, I I like that there's like the nod of like placebo is incredibly effective, but like she knows it's a placebo. So like it's not going to work. And it's like, that's true. If she just thought she was on drugs and actually just accessed the memories like that would make sense. Yeah, I'm actually glad that you brought this up because one of my things is just like uh, when Rose is like, wow, this is my parents' worst nightmare about their gay daughter and her lesbian girlfriend is in a spooky farmhouse doing drugs with a metalhead. And I'm like, 
I've not been in that exact situation, but so many situations similar to that. I'm like, that sounds like a a great time, Rose. (laughs) I know you're like doing some like deep introspection about this like intensely traumatizing cult bullshit, but I think another time you could really enjoy it. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. (sighs) Welcome to Community Profiles, where we talk about characters. Who shall we start with? Let's start with Rose. Cool. I don't have any notes. I'm just going to come up with it as I go. There is absolutely a word. Freestyling. I'm freestyling this section. So Rose, everyone, is our protagonist. Um, The entire book is from her POV. And she's really just the, like, gay, artistic, Veronica Mars, Nancy Drew, Velma from Scooby-Doo heroine that we deserve. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I'm like, and I think books that I've read where I don't think the author themselves are autistic. The fact that Rose is autistic is an important part of not only like her as a person, but like how the events of this book unfold, because it's like sort of, it's important to how she is processing and putting together all of this information that she is receiving And the way that she can contextualize all of this data feels, it's not like her autism is an afterthought of her character. It's like, it's very central to her being our heroine. Yeah, I had the same, the same thoughts. I also really appreciate, because I think that right now, as sort of culturally, people are becoming more aware of what autism looks like outside of the sort of stereotypes and, you know, historic DSM faithful depictions of what it means to be autistic. People are identifying more and more characters in media being like that character is autistic because it's like super healing and great and like we do it on our shows obviously with like Anya on Buffy and Neve in Anyway the Wind Blows etc but I think that having this character who is autistic and is written by an autistic person there's the depth of what that means is so much more than just like, oh, they're like a quirky animal weirdo, right? Yeah. You also get to see Rose have the kind of, like, have autistic meltdowns and have to self-soothe and get overwhelmed in situations in a way that feels really real. And it's just like, for me reading it, I'm like, that is exactly what that feels like. It, you know, it just is like, yes, the the whole picture of a kind of what being autistic looks like, as opposed to just sort of the surface level that I think when we're claiming characters, you only get that sort of top, top level. Yeah. And I feel like there's also a sort of, how do I say this? I feel like in popular American media and especially in the genre of solving a mystery or solving something something it is often a white cishet dude who is the one that even though they may not ever say it in the show is autistic coded and that often 
it often has very fucked up stereotypes of uh, autistic people, like analytical. They don't have empathy. They're you know they're not necessarily paying attention to the people around them. And again, like always glad for autistic people to be reading characters as autistic. But it just kind of makes me like sad that that is a lot of what those characters often are. Yeah. Right, Winnie? It's terrible. I know. Um, and so it's really awesome to see Rose, who has this deep wellspring of empathy for the people around her and definitely the other poor kids at fucking Camp Damascus. Like, she definitely could have taken Willow up on her, Willow up on her thing to be like, let's just bounce from this town, from this state. And Rose is like, no, I can't, I literally cannot leave all of the kids who are currently and in the future to be tortured by Camp Damascus. And I love that for her and for yeah. us to see a character have a very like realistic portrayal of autism, but not necessarily with that lack of empathy stereotype that I feel seems so harmful because of how pervasive it is. Yeah, 100%. I also really love that we get these descriptions of, you know, Rose is very good at picking up, like, people's moods. And when things shift, even, like, with Isaiah, she doesn't always understand what is happening or why it's happening. But we get in the moments where she's like, this person is, like, lying to me or this person is, you know, has become uncomfortable, we get descriptions of how she's assessing that, where it's, like, the body language that she's noticing or, you know, the hesitation in their voice that she's noticing, which I think is also really important because there, you know, a lot of the stereotypes about autism and, like, lack of empathy are, right, inability to like read a situation and it's like actually a lot of autistic people are very good at reading situations we maybe just read those situations we're reading a different text than you know an holistic person is reading but like getting the same information and I really like having access to the way that Rose gets the information about what's what's going on with the people that she's interacting with. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it honestly also really warms my heart just how much random trivia is just peppered into this book as just part of Rose's, like, natural, you know, we're getting this from, like, the first person from her. So she just, you know, is often thinking about, like, this reminded me of, like, this fat about bats or about root beer. And you're just like... Yeah. I'm just like, oh, I love everything about this. <laughs> I yeah. feel like we could be friends. <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Is there anything else about her specifically? Is this where you wanted to talk about sort of her, her age discrepancy stuff? Oh, yeah, we can definitely do that. Um, which is... So Rose is 20 in this book, which maybe we don't... I feel like is sort of mentioned in like the first couple of chapters, but I think not until the middle of this book when she says that she's 20 or someone's like, oh, you're 20, that you're like, you seem like you're 15. And it is unfortunately because of the fundamentalist Kingdom of the Pines really wants kids to just take a couple of years off of traditional school to do 
fundy Christian homeschooling, blah blah And so she is much older than her secular high school peers. Like, she would be graduating high school at 20. And I think that it, and I'm sure intentionally on the part of Kingdom of the Pines, sort of puts her, like, it makes her feel emotionally and mentally, like, younger than you would assume, like, a 20-year-old person would be. Right. And I think it's 110% intentional. (laughs) Yeah. And it, it just takes a while for maybe even Rose herself to realize that the amount of control her parents have is more than a secular 20-year-old potentially would have, you know? Maybe not right. that far, but she just kind of, the awareness of the amount of control her parents have over her life. It's a thing that she can sort of contextualize a lot of data that she hasn't realized she's thought about with like her parents and just like being older than the rest of the high school kids and the fact that there isn't a door on her bedroom, which is already deeply weird and fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I have anything else about that or her. Uh, that's kind of the sound of my stuff about her. Okay. Uh, would you like to talk about Saul? I would like to talk about Saul, who I love. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just a little gay alternative church baby. I don't like Saul. Why? Are you still in the town? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's a great question. I'm really bothered by Saul being Christian, which is something that I want to talk about in the politics section. So I want to try and keep that separate from the discussion of like, I don't know. I don't know if it's possible to talk about him here and leave that out or not. What do you think? No, I think it is something we can definitely talk about because it's something I've also put a lot of thought into also. And also just sort of like why he's even in the situation in the first place, you know? Yeah. But... Yeah, our uh, engineering genius who loves Christian metal, which honestly does remind me of some boys I went to high school with. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Saul, all you were missing is like a straight edge tattoo. <laughs> yeah. Thank God he's not straight edge, though. Yeah. He's really cool, though. I love that he broke into multiple churches and stole like demonic texts from somewhere, quote unquote, pretty important. Great. Big fan. I know. Yeah, I feel like, so, uh, maybe before, a little bit before, maybe it was after the book was released, Chuck, on whatever platform I was looking at, posted some really great fan art of Rose and Willow and Saul and, like, one of the demons. And I'm like, there's a, like, beautiful black character in this book. I'm so (laughs) excited. (laughs) And, yeah, he's just, like, covered in tattoos and, like, is also, like, an engineering genius. And I'm like, Saul, you are too cool. Yeah. For literally all that's happening around you. But I also just love how your your friendship with Rose has survived literal brainwashing. Yeah. And I love that they were friends before, that they don't become sort of, you know, we were thrown together by circumstance friends. It's like they may not have super clear memories of it or Rose doesn't have any at all. But it's like, oh, no, we actually already clicked before we had our brains washed, you know? Yeah. Um, which I think is really special. I know. We have Saul being like, me and my homemade flamethrower. <laughs> and it's like, how did you not literally light yourself on fire? <laughs> but it can be done. So yeah. 
he's got he's got that brain yeah you know which is yeah something i do not the schematics brain no i feel like it i don't know i don't want to say it it feels like neurospicy adjacent just because i feel there's such a stereotype of like male engineers being good at the thing that they're good at but like not anything else including interacting with people yeah i want to be careful with neurospicy i feel like I don't know, be specific, because neurospicy includes, like, everything from schizophrenia to Down syndrome. Well, I mean, I guess I just don't want to say that, like, every engineer is, like, an autistic person. Sure. But I I guess that I think that it wouldn't surprise me if there's a high number of engineers who are not autistic. Yeah, I don't think there's, like anything problematic about that i do get the sense that in the number of times that rose is like oh i totally understand why i was friends with this guy that there is an invitation in the book to be like saul is also autistic because that's stated but there the number of times that she's like oh our brains work so similarly like we have different interests and different things that we're like really into but yeah we're vibing in the same way yeah. I don't think it's inappropriate to be like, oh, I wonder if Saul is also autistic. I think that's intentionally in the text for us. That's fair. Um, anyway, I love him. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I hope that one day he finds his pop music crush again. I bet it's like the tiniest little twink. Like, the I most... just feel like... <laughs> the most Polly Pocket homo you can think of. <laughs> yes, I feel like they're probably so fucking cute in a like... I mean, I guess kind of like me and Evan, where it's like, oh, LOL, you're like the meme of like the goth one and the pastel one, you know. But it's also a meme for a reason. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I do just imagine the most just like sunshiny, like bubbly and like obviously like Saul is also sunshiny and bubbly. But if you were to look at him Right. Like, I'm sure he has, like, I don't know if, I don't know if they say he has piercings, but I imagine he has piercings. No, it like, does say he has piercings. All right, piercings and tattoos and loves what sounds like the most goth music taste. Yeah. And then he's just like, hey, friend. And you're just like, okay, I see that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Willow? Yeah. Uh, I have a little bit less here for Willow, just because we get a lot of Rose's memories of her, but I think... It seems kind of weird. I feel like she, for me, feels like the less fleshed out of the three of them. Just because, like, we're getting a lot of, like, what Rose remembers. And then, like, when we meet her, it's sort of like, oh, cool, you're here. But also, we have to... It's basically the beginning of the climax of this book when she, like, is introduced. So I feel like we don't get to know her as much. Even though Willow, thankfully, does give us an excellent uh, info dump of herself... Because she's like, I know, Rose, I don't even want you to try to, like, ask me these questions. I'm just going to give you the list of things for you. And Rose is like, great. And I'm also like, great. Excellent. <laughs> this is perfect. Yeah. yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I I think, yeah, we, we just, we spend the least time with her. We know less about her. I feel like the things that we know about her are sort of the most important things to know about her. Like, how is she in relation to... Rose's autism, super supportive, great. So great, so great. Yeah, you know, how is she in terms of, like, social justice? Also great, you know? 
first instinct is to fuck right off. Second instinct is like, no, you're right. We have to save everybody. Does she want to U-Haul with Rose? Absolutely. She sure and, does. <laughs> like, that's that's sort of it. She likes nature and will be a witch in five to ten years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and also loves Wu-Tang Clan. <laughs> yes. Which I definitely had to laugh at a little bit. <laughs> oh, I'm like, of course you do. <laughs> But she's like, what is the music that, like, my parents would hate me listening to the most? Yeah. I mean, I say that as to say that, like, Wu-Tang, they're a classic for a reason. They're all very talented. Excellent choice of music. It just makes me laugh a little bit. Fair. Welcome to the health and science section. Yes, you heard that right. We're doing it out of order because it needs to happen this way for this particular book, uh, where we talk about magic and science and timelines and research that we did yes do you want to start with uh wormholes slash and parallel dimensions yeah that sounds great let's do it i think that the timing for us of having this book between books two and three of the his dark material series it's like a, a pocket universe of that universe. It is so perfectly timed. I am shook it. Yeah, no, the fact, yeah, I, and I actually mentioned this on the Her Doc Materials pod because I recorded with them earlier and listeners will come out a week before this-ish, but it's just very apt to be like not only yelling about how the Christian church is the worst and we should burn it down, but... Also to have this sort of people tethered to demons, but in, as opposed to like, they're the like soul or spirit part of you external, we get terrifying monsters that have been sort of forcefully grafted onto you. Right. There's also, so you and I both listen to a lot of You're Wrong About, where there's several episodes that are about like, Michelle remembers and like the satanic panic and all of that and where I feel like the sort of refrain is like in order to believe in these things you have to believe in literal satan like this is the weirdest premise because you have to like think that like actual satan from actual hell is like concerned with harming your children or whatever and I think that a thing that is really lovely about this book and the His Dark Materials books is that they're like, actually, no, there are infinite timelines, that's science. And like, given infinite timelines, one of those could absolutely be the world of the dead or hell, right? And that doesn't mean that literal Satan from the Bible exists. It just means that demons exist somewhere. And I think that that's great. Because, obviously, religion is fake. So, if you're going to have it be the case that, like, there's actual demons, I want it to be the case that that's science and not religion. Yeah, I actually, I love the fact that it's, that the demons are physical beings from another dimension. Because they're essentially an invasive species and not this sort of mystical, biblical, like, 
literal, like, when you die, you go to a, and if you're bad, according to Christianity, you go to a place where a bunch of demons with horns and, like, spiked tails jab you with a pitchfork. Like, what happens to you after you die happens, but you're not traveling to another dimension for this thing to happen. But here it's like, oh, the, like, Camp Damascus is ripping holes in the, in the time, in time space in order to enslave another species to children to punish them. Right. And like so many times in human history, uh, don't introduce new species to places that aren't prepared for new species. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Oh my God. Yeah. So, right. And Rose even mentions the like, whatever, multi-world theory where like we're so close to other dimensions we just can't dimensions being sort of layered against one another like a rope yeah or like strings of a rope sort of which yeah is perfect for our his dark material conversation right yeah it's cool yeah uh i also have to say that we also get little hints that those weird grubs that they're using to like wipe everyone's memory have escaped and are now breeding in montana which is that's just gonna be a not great for everyone i know especially because one of the big problems every one of invasive species is a them eating slash destroying uh, a lot of the local ecosystem and b that they don't have any natural predators therefore nothing is keeping them in check and they continue to destroy uh, a lot of the ecosystem so yeah can't say that a gross slug creature that wants to use humans as their host because they're parasites is going to be a good thing for anyone. Yeah, I really like that. I also, like, it made me right now think about, like, the demons seem to hang out in their dimension until, you know, the person they're tethered to thinks gay stuff and then they come through. So they're opening a portal every time they come through, which means that other shit from their realm could potentially be, like, coming on through Every time a portal gets opened, which if everyone who's ever gone to Camp Damascus has a demon following them around is thousand tens of thousands of opportunities. I mean, honestly, let's and that is on top of the fact that like in human history, if these demons can breathe our air, can live in our gravity, are like humanish enough who knows what kind of like weird bacteria or viruses they're bringing into our dem- yeah so yeah. yeah it's honestly an ecological nightmare <laughs> on yeah. top of being like literally <laughs> terrible but just like in our world uh fundy christians want you to think about how it's terrible that your children are gay and not about the ecological nightmare that's happening in the background <laughs> yeah and also like historically in our timeline christians doing things that they think are the right right thing to do and subsequently destroying entire ecosystems human populations etc is like a time-honored tradition for that religion so why not do it with hell right yeah the his dark material quote that actually seemed very appropriate is mary malone calling the christian church a powerful and convincing mistake Seems very apt for this book, everyone. 
Yeah. Which I think is also interesting because it does speak to sort of what Rose hints at and that it's not just Kingdom of the Pines. Like it might be, this might be a larger conspiracy of the Christian church that goes back centuries. Yeah. Do you have anything else? To keep it short, I have one more thing. Okay. Which is, so we, we it's mentioned in the book that essentially the kind of the big reference that they can find about hell, quote unquote hell, this hell dimension being frozen is in Dante's Inferno. Mm -hmm. And so I looked it up and thematically who, so in Dante's Inferno, it's like there's 10 levels of hell and each hell corresponds to like a certain bad behavior that you've done. Right. Isn't like so much of the Christian idea of hell rooted in Dante's Inferno and not in anything that's anywhere in the Bible? Yeah. So weird. And even like Dante's Inferno is like, yeah, I, I think there's something like weird about the way that he's just like, this, me and my friend Virg- Virgil going around hell. And you're just like, what, what yeah. is this? But the ninth frozen circle of hell is for people who, be- who betrayed those who trusted them. So people killing their family members, people that you trusted. Judas is in this level. And I just think it's like very thematically on point to be like, oh man, betrayal by people, by people who trusted you. Definitely a overarching theme of this book. Anyway, I just really enjoyed that. Welcome to the politics section where we talk about things that are fucked up. Where do we even start with this? Uh, my first note is Gaslighting, the novel. Oh my god, <laughs> yes. Oh, I think my first, I literally have everything about Rose's parents under this because they are the literal worst and I hate them. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, uh, Rose spends a good amount of time being gaslit by both her parents and her quote-unquote doctor, Dr. Smith. Quote-unquote therapist. Oh, right. Quote-unquote therapist, Dr. Smith. And it's truly painful to read. It's it's honestly it's honestly worse than the body horror stuff for me. Oh yeah, totally. Like just yeah, straight on psychological horror. It's like no, you never had a door to your room, Rose. Right. I'm like, Ugh. oh wow, you must have just swallowed a bunch of bugs. That's so weird. Not nothing to worry about. That's totally a thing. Oh, you didn't see anything. Uh, you didn't have your car run into a tree and then you lit a demon on fire. That that didn't happen. And don't tell anyone that it happened. That one I actually think was her parents trying to protect her, weirdly enough. Because they're like, if people realize that you know how to kill demons, like, they're going to fucking off you. Don't yeah. tell anyone that, yeah. you know. But, no, they're, like, everything, everything else. It's... I'm sure we've talked before about one of my like biggest pet peeves in this world is people using gaslighting as if it's like interchangeable with lying or disagreeing, which, yeah, you know, it's like this means something extremely specific. And I know that language is alive and words change to mean new things all the time. But like, we will have to come up with a new word for gaslighting if gaslighting becomes synonymous with lying because it does mean something specific. And like, I'm going to point people to this novel. I think the doctor at some point literally is like, people want to believe what their senses are telling them, but their senses are lying. And it's like, that's it, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And just the sheer amount that like every 
question that she's like, this doesn't add up, is met with it. Like, yes, it does. Like, don't even, you know. Yeah. Dr. Smith's like, I'm so disappointed in you. Only children are supposed to have imaginary friends or whatever. And it's oh. like, oh, my God. Stop. Oh. And her parents are being like, don't be too curious now. Like, don't oh think God, too I much. Know. And I'm just like, I mean, I want to throw them into a, into this hell dimension just overall. But, ugh, just... I mean, that, on top of them, her parents just pretending or ignoring the fact that their daughter is autistic and is being like, you don't need anything for that. You don't, we don't need to tell you that. But Rose is like, clearly I am, whatever y'all say. Right. Which honestly probably helps her to be like, so clearly the things that you're telling me are already kind of a lie. And then for just them trying so hard to contradict what is clearly reality in a way to like punish and like subjugate her is yes. Textbook what gaslighting is about. (laughs) Right. The end result is subjugation (laughs) and like removal of agency by making you believe that your gut instinct, your senses are lying to you. Right. Yeah. That you can't trust what you know to be true. Right. You have to fundamentally doubt your entire self and then rely on the person who's gaslighting you to provide truth because you you're like well i don't know i don't know i can't trust anything that i think is true right yeah so yeah okay so i listened to a lot of this book driving to and from a really intense therapy section oh god so i spent a lot of time in the car yelling about rose's parents because they I mean, okay, so number one, they like, they're trying to force their gay daughter to be hetero and to marry some dude right out of high school to make Christian babies and not go to college. And like, I met kids at my college who are like, I'm here to find a husband to be married and then I'm gonna be a housewife and take care and like do that thing. I'm like, you know what, that if that is your choice, you do that. But Rose doesn't have a choice here. It's like the, her parents have spent too much money to force her into the situation and be like Isaiah is great he's a good Christian boy can't wait for you guys to like start having babies and Rose is like what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> yeah. uh, I know her, her reaction does feel sort of like Lincoln what am I a child bride <laughs> <laughs> like for real and already on top of the fact that they're trying real hard to infantilize Rose by treating her like she's 17 but she is 20 and she it would be hard but she could leave but they are working really hard to be like that's not an option for you to just peace right. out I mean until of course she realizes that the church is going to try well now she realizes like when her mom does the only good thing in this book that both her parents do right and I just have to say that the way that sometimes you will not find people who will enforce the patriarchy as hard as women, like white cishet women, which is what's happening with Rose's mom, where Rose's mom is really trying to just really just hammer in like the sort of tenets of Kingdom of the Pines in a way that just seems like, not like overcompensating, but just like having to be, this is my life that I secretly hate, but I need you I need you to also enact the patriarchy, uh, the heteropatriarchy, or else you won't exist because being gay is like 
the worst possible thing I can imagine happening to you. Right. Which is not even in the top 50 things that I can imagine being terrible for a child. Uh, and I think if you love your children as people, you would agree. <laughs> right. It's right. Just simply not terrible. Yeah. But yeah, but then she, when she's like, there's some guys from the church waiting for you at the house. Here's your stuff. Just leave. And I mean, it's like the only good, potentially not self-serving thing that we see either of her parents do. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, and it, you could easily imagine that her mom wanted a different life for herself, but was also from a family into Kingdom of the Pines. And thus she is now stuck in right. this situation because they only have one kid, which a lot of funny Christians are about. Have as many fucking kids as you possibly can. We need more Christian soldiers against the army of black queer people who are taking over the world, you know? Yeah. And they have they have one kid. Yeah. You know, Rose says, we get a couple of things. Rose is like, everything I learned about like how to mask in social situations, I learned from my mom. And then her mom's like, oh, wouldn't it be so dreamy to live in this like one room cabin all by myself? And you're sort of like, autism's hereditary. Sure you know? is. 50-50 chance Rose's mom is autistic. So I feel like it also makes sense to me. I feel like a lot of bad parents are bad parents because they're like, I'm miserable. And the audacity of you to want to not be miserable is like more than I can handle. You know? Yeah. It's like, I had to suffer through this thing that I didn't want to do. Why do you get to not do that? And it's like, you could have not done that also. Actually. Right, exactly. <laughs> so I can definitely see just the way that we see her snap at Rose for doing her like finger counts. You know, it's like, she's like, I have driven this from myself with such fervor that like seeing you in any way embrace your truth, your identity, whatever that looks like, just like trigger something visceral in her mom to be like, absolutely not, you know? Yeah, exactly. Which I feel sympathy for, but I'm not sympathetic to. No, right. It's like, get over it. Your job is to want your kid's life to be better than yours. Yeah, exactly. Okay, not to mention, we find out, Rose finds out that her parents have spent over half a million dollars for this treatment for Rose, which I think is the most mind-boggling, irresponsible thing I've ever heard. Like when that part of my audiobook came out, I was literally <laughs> screaming, What the actual fuck are you fucking kidding me? Because yeah. okay, so this the the timeline of this book is sort of amorphous. It's kind of like what time could this be in? It could be anywhere in the past 20 years, is the the feeling. Well, past 10 years, because she's a smartphone. So, like, the past however long smartphones have been around. So it seems like it could be happening at any time in the past 15 years. Okay. The important thing is Rose's parents could have literally given Rose herself, if they had given her the half a million dollars straight up, if they had paid for her to go to college sort of nearly debt-free, depending on where she's going, that would have done a mind-boggling, like, what a mind-boggling leg up for Rose's entire life. And instead, they spent that money to attach a demon to her so she wouldn't be gay anymore. And it makes me incandescently angry. It's like abuse because of what they did to their daughter. But just the way that they could have 
given her a bright future and the way that they spent all these resources to stamp out her future is disgusting. Yeah. I, I feel very emotional because I'm just like, half a million dollars. You could buy a house in an expensive coastal city and live your best gay life for half a million dollars. Yeah. Uh, you could have gone to a very fancy college and met a hot intellectual queer. And like, I think Rose is not aware enough of the world, but I think in like another year, maybe six months from now, she's going to be like, are you fucking kidding me? Half a million oh, dollars? Oh yeah, she's going to be so mad. She's going to be pissed. And she's, it's going to be deserved. Like, uh, uh, it just, I can't even speak about how angry it makes me. <laughs> Just people are struggling, like young people are struggling so hard and like living with their parents, with their spouse and their children because housing is so expensive. And then these assholes are paying a quarter, like half a million dollars to abuse their gay child. Uh, uh, uh. No, uh. for real. It is unforgivable. Yeah. Um, this all leads really nicely into my sort of primary problem with this book, which will be no surprise to anyone who's listened to our episodes about the first two Historic Materials books. Um, I don't think there's an ethical way to be a Christian in 2023. I just don't. And so I'm extremely bothered by the inclusion of Saul still being a Christian. It feels... There's this, There's a couple lines. So like, at some point, Rose says, maybe I'm letting the aggressors off the hook by blaming the faith itself. And I just wrote no like this is the faith this is what it has been like this is what christianity has always done since rome like literally this is this is it like it started and was like let's fucking conquer everybody in the name of god there is there was no magical past in which christianity was the like kind wholesome religion that people like Saul want to pretend it could be it simply isn't it never ever has been and now especially <clears throat> sorry I'm so mad <sighs> deep breath Saul says when Rose like pushes him and was like how can you still believe this he's like I'm not okay with letting them define God's love and that to me is like if he was like yeah, like, I'm a Republican, but I'm not like them. I'm not okay with letting the officials that I elected into office define what it means to be a Republican. And I'm like, but they are the people who define it, actually. And yeah. your continued alignment with them is an endorsement of what they're doing. Like, yeah, this is an oppressive regime. You're saying I can be a part of it without being part of it. No, you can't. It's one or the other. So yeah. there's no I'm one of the good ones is what I'm trying to say. Sorry, I'm going to stop ranting. No, no, this is actually really good because I think that I have met people like Saul who have been black or like other kinds of like ethnicities where for me, someone who's been an agnostic church hater since I was 12, 11, something like that. Whereas, like, I don't understand why black people are still into the church because, hello, what? But th those are a lot of folks. Those are a lot, a lot of black folks. And so what I think for Saul, which isn't in the text, but just me coming from this is like knowing church going black people, is that 
For a lot of Black people, it's a little bit like how Mormonism is like both the church and also a like cultural phenomenon for like white Mormons. I'm sure there are other colored Mormons, but majority white Mormons. It's sort of how a lot of, in my experience, like Black Christians are. Or maybe they're like Baptist or they're like whatever other kind of weird sect of Christianity, but it's just like, it's as much cultural as it is religious. So it's mm -hmm. like, even if you are gay and you're like, I'm not with the church anymore, you probably have grown up going to church, you know? And there's maybe parts of it that are still worthwhile, or there's like parts of it where it's like, I don't want to go against my family and my community by being like, fuck God and the church, I'm out. And so I feel like... My interpretation of Saul is like one of those black dudes where it's like, I'm sure his like mom and like grandparents are also part of the church. And he has like fuzzy, mem like probably warm fuzzy memories of like, I don't, I doubt that he grew up here, but like, it does not seem like he's Kingdom of the Pines is like my home church as much as it mm -hmm. seems like he came from somewhere else and like is working at this like conversion camp, which does actually that is for me. I'm like, why? Like, did you not know you were gay when you worked here? Because that seems like a thing that you probably would have questioned at some point. Unless you're just like very, maybe if I go here, I will, I will like by proxy not be gay anymore or something. Mm -hmm. But I can definitely see why Saul would be, still have this sort of cultural connection to the church and like not wanting to give that up and or like still trying to like recontextualize that for himself, I guess. It's not what I would do, obviously, as as I know a lot of queer people who are just like, the church, okay. Yeah, I mean, I think there are other ways. Like, I get it. I get the, like, there's not a lot of other opportunities in the culture that we live in to have that kind of community. And, like, there have been periods of my life where, like, I had cool friends who went to a cool church and I was like, I'm sad and lonely. I'll go to church with you on Sunday. I don't believe in any of this but like it feels nice to like hold hands and sing a song and like have people be like I'm so glad that you're here and mean it right like these things are nice and it's you know the kind of church that we see Saul going to is that sort of like kind open whatever but I like I I understand the drive but I don't I guess in this book with what this book is doing it feels like backpedaling mm. to be like, I'm not saying that Christianity is terrible. And I'm like, just say it. Like, mm -hmm. you can just say it. It is. It's, this is bad. And this is what Christianity is. And if I don't think it's doing anything good to have it be like, no, the faith isn't the problem when the faith is the problem. I mean... I guess I'm trying to think, is it important contextually to have? Because, like, once Rose figures all this out, she's like, fuck the church, I'm out. I don't, I'm not interested in any of this anymore. And so I guess I'm just trying to process if it makes sense to have Saul, who's like, I went through a very similar situation, but I still have, uh, like, feelings about a, like, Christian-flavored God, essentially. Um, I guess maybe not important narratively is it important for people reading this book i don't know is this a like editorial choice where someone's like actually we need someone to be like 
not everyone has to be like, I hate God and I'm done with the church in this series. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, okay, well, those were my big feelings. Do you have anything else in this? I section? do not. Okay. Welcome to editorials where we rant about stuff, but not in a mad way. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm like, what didn't we already talk about? Um, I can't get over how, what an egotistical, just pile of shit uh, Smith, her, uh, Rose's quote unquote therapist is. Because like, okay, so number one, in one of these sessions, maybe the first one, he is literally telling her kind of how Camp Damascus demon connection thing works by actually telling her the, like, Pavlov's dog metaphor. And because I love her being like, he, like, mispronounces it. She's like, it's Pavlov. And it's like... Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, you really think that she's just not going to figure this out at all. And I also think... That part of it is because this guy doesn't have any credentials and I'm sure went to a like, even if he went to a Bible college, because who even knows that, uh, they could have gotten some random dude on the street who's really deep in the kingdom of the pines to be doing this. I had a friend who like got sucked into evangelical Christianity who had a, a culinary degree and was like, I'm a counselor for my church now. No further schooling took place. They, they do not give a flying fuck what credentials you have. They're like, oh, are you good at talking to people? You're a counselor now. So, yeah, he probably has nothing. Yeah, because part of me is like, A, maybe you shouldn't be telling him this information. And B, when Rose is like, this dude also has no idea that I'm autistic. <laughs> and it's like, I think you would really maybe adjust the amount of information you would give to someone for them to so they don't just like file it all away and then like oh all this information now makes sense and i know exactly what's going on which is what happens right. to rose because smith right. underestimates her completely and i'm just like you deserve to get eaten by a bunch of memory worms he super does yeah like you're you sir are the worst yeah very uh very effectively written bad guy mm-hmm. um I think my main editorial is that I don't think anyone else could have made this book. I think there's something so specific about the way that Chuck Tingle interacts with metaphor and analogy that it can be this on the nose because it's not pretending not to be. And I don't think there's a lot of other authors who could just let it be to would just like let it be this sincere yeah i guess right because i feel like it's always like you know when people are trying to like make a point about a thing it's always like oh i see what you're doing there or sometimes it's like oh my god that's incredibly heavy-handed i see what you're doing there but like this is like this is what i'm doing here you know and then you're like great I love this. I would love to enjoy a whole plateful of this thing that you're doing here. And um, that's just like really special. I think there's something really special about that. Yeah. And I like it. Yeah. Like I think there is a lot of things that I'm a pretty voracious reader or was at some point. And I think 
I don't know. There's just so many fresh things that happen in this book. Obviously, I've talked about my love of Rose as our as our heroine and protagonist. But I think I've, I don't know. I just feel like there's so many layers going on that I've missed, even like rereading it twice. And a bunch of cultural reference slash pop culture vibes that are happening in this book that also don't feel heavy handed and just the way that they're woven into the narrative is excellent. It's just, it's so good. And while I do feel like the sort of ending of like, we're going to storm Camp Damascus and free all the kids and free all these demons and punish the terrible fundy camp leaders does feel a little rushed. I kind of don't care because that's honestly the least interesting part of this book for me. As much as it is satisfying for their terrible head pastor to be dragged into a hell dimension by a demon. Um, it honestly isn't as interesting as just Rose's whole journey up until that point. Mm-hmm. It's really great. It's just, I'm just so excited about this book. Yeah, same. I, um, I totally agree with you. I feel like the ending scene is the part of books where I usually sort of like check out for a little while. I'm like, my eyes are taking in like entire paragraphs at a time where I'm like, I don't need you to describe all of this action. Like, please, please stop. I think honestly, this is part of why I don't generally like mysteries is that the ending of the mystery is often not very satisfying. It's like the Leading up to what's going on is always more interesting than the actual end. Like, oh, that's what was happening. With the obvious glass onion being a sort of crowning achievement of being like, the ending still works, even though it's like, you maybe could have predicted it, but it still lands so well because of the way the narrative is. Yeah. And like, this happens all the time with television shows, even where it's like, the mystery part is so good. And then like, the actual finding out part is meh. Yeah, I I feel like we know from the first time that the demon is described where you're like, huh, demon has an iron band around their neck, but they don't want to be here. And so it's not like you're surprised when they get released and are like, fuck everyone who made me be, you yeah. know, enslaved to torture these kids. Of Of course. Right. Honestly, my only surprise was that it didn't happen earlier in the book as like a let's team up way. I was like, are they going to team up? That would have been fun. But yeah, it's not, again, it's like, that's not what, that's not what we're doing here. We're not like doing a big reveal. It's been on the table the whole time. Like who is the big bad here? All we're really getting is like how, right? Not what. And right. That's, that's just a really satisfying thing to read for me at least i really like it yeah welcome to the essay section where we talk about our closing thoughts and feelings on this media Um, which i feel like we did already kind of start but let's let's do it in an official capacity yeah i love this book 10 out of 10 and it is a really great blending of horror and sci-fi and what you think might be fantasy but is actually sci-fi which is a lot of my favorite sort of genres mashed together and it's just so excellent i feel like 
I need to like reread it like three more times. Because <laughs> there's also a lot of allusions to other media here that I'm really just like, oh, this kind of reminds me of Eternal Sunshine. Or this kind of reminds me of the Fear Street trilogy. Or it's like, wow, I really should have rewatched Jesus Camp before reading this book. Um, agreed. No, it's really great. I'm really excited for Bury Your Gaze. I really enjoyed it. I also really enjoyed the, I feel like it was the right level of scary for me, a baby. I felt like it was manageable. Yeah. Yeah. And now everyone stay tuned for our interview with Chuck Tingle. Hi, Chuck. Welcome back. I guess technically this is your first time on The Gaily Planet, which is what we replaced The Gaily Prophet with when we stopped talking about Harry Potter. Oh, I'm, I, I you know what? I know that I, I am here to be interviewed, but I am, I am fascinated. I, and I, it's obviously an emotional thing for everyone involved. Um, I, I, that, that's a big change. And I, I'm curious about it because I'm kind of, I have, I've been going through my own things with with kind of Harry Potter and, you know, this all this stuff is still out there and you still meet buckaroos who kind of are, I would say, maybe uninformed. They don't really know what the, the weight that comes along with that. Yeah. Um, so in my own life, I've been kind of grappling with having to explain this to buckaroos. Um, did you, so did, for you, did you just get tired of, you just got tired of talking about Harry Potter? And all that comes with it. Is that what happened? Partly that, partly the responsibility that we felt in continuing to talk about Harry Potter to be like on top of addressing what J.K. Rowling was doing when she was just like doing something new like every week was just so exhausting as like trans people. We were like, we don't want this to be our job anymore and no one else is really doing it. And that sucks. And... Mostly, like, we just weren't happy when we were talking about it. So we weren't making, like, good podcasts because it was, like, yes. hard to be excited about Harry Potter because it just felt, like, gross. It's, you yeah. know, what is? Oh, I'm sorry. No, you you continue. I want to hear. Oh, yeah. Just, and then the minute we started talking about any, literally anything else, it's like, wow, this is so great. This is so much more <laughs> exciting. Oh, so yes. we're just like, oh, we're just going to talk about other things all of the time now. Yep. A healthy response it's it's just it is i guess the reason it's fascinating to me right now is because well you know i wrote harriet porter this is a world that i am i am familiar with and you know we're both out here commenting on this figure that i just feel like for me it, it has um it has hit a tipping point where it's almost like the the battle has just become so there used to be kind of nuance to it, I guess, of, oh, what does this person mean when they say this thing and uh, and all these different things? And now it's just kind of, you don't, there's nothing to comment on anymore. It's just hate and transphobia. It's, there's no mask anymore. There's nothing, it's just such a strange place to be that it is, it has gone this far that even, even talking about it in any way almost feels irresponsible now does that make sense i don't know yeah i think yeah you know for a long time we were like well if we stop talking about it then like who is going to like in a nuanced and like meaningful way that addresses what she's doing 
But yeah, definitely at this point, it just is like, feels gross, you know? Yes, it doesn't feel good. And, and well, you know, and you can always, now that you have um, day, uh, uh, Gaily Planet, you can have a special edition episode where you check back in in that world, right? I mean, yeah. you know, if, if you wanted to, you just don't have to dedicate every day every dang one to it right yeah and it turns out it's really fun to talk about a different thing every week Um, yes we've just been having such a good time being like what do we want to do right now and then just doing that um so that's been a great change too now is your is your change is your focus now um is it still kind of um based around uh uh, queer issues trans issues or is it uh, just kind of whatever you want um, so we talk about different media, some of which is explicitly queer and trans, but some of which is just stuff that we love. And but like everything that we do is queer and trans issues because of what we bring <laughs> to it. So like the conversation oh, yes. is always focused around those things in some way or other. It's kind of yeah, it's kind of funny how um, this. it's the same way with art. Uh, and especially writing where, you know, they're just, there are some parts of you that are just going to be in the conversation, no matter what you do. Um, with, you know, with Camp Damascus, there's so much, I've been getting a lot of uh, kind praise for um, autistic representation with, with Rose. And what's very interesting is that, um, you know, I, I'm now kind of thinking about my next book that's coming out, uh, Barrier Gaze, and the uh, the protagonist of Barrier Gaze is not explicitly autistic, but what's interesting is I've kind of found that um, all of my work is kind of going to have an autistic point of view because I, I am autistic, and, and all of my work is going to kind of have a queer point of view. Uh, you know, th- there's just some innate things that no matter what you're doing, you're going to bring that to the table, which I, I guess you're, you're kind of finding that with your, your dang pod now. Yeah, for sure. Um, that was actually one of the things that we wanted to ask you about regarding Camp Damascus is like, you know, I think every time we've talked with you, you've talked about the importance of being autistic in your life and the way that you approach your work and like, has it been cool to create this autistic character that's being read and received by just like so many people? Because Camp Damascus has become a pretty big deal, which is awesome. So excited about Yes, Buckaroos can go get it at their dang uh, local bookstore instead of um, the giant demonic Amazon machine, which is a nice change. And what's very interesting is I've been seeing, so we did, I I did my dang book tour and, um, you know, I, a lot of the buckaroos, depending on the store, but some of them are in Camp Damascus, then you see next to it, oh, there's, they got a copy of uh, Harriet Porber here on the shelf right next to it. So that is kind of nice to see the back catalog uh, showing up in all of these places, too. It, to answer your question, it is, um, you know, I, I have always on social media, uh, we've talked before about how important that was to me to kind of uh, give uh, young autistic buck- buckaroos, uh, you know, an example, and and there's someone to say, "Oh, that's cool art. I really like that." And then um, I can be like that. Um, what has been cool about this is to have it so directly in the art itself, and not the social media around it. Yeah, that feels that feels great, and it's also 
um, you know, I get asked all the time because there's so much I gotta do to hide my way and wear a mask and disguise all these things and kind of um, create a, a veil over my life of what information I release and kind of how I see it. Um, I kind of finally have an answer when Dr. Well, where, where are you on the autism spectrum? Um, Rose is written to be exactly like the way that um, uh, it exhibits in myself. So um, and now it's kind of nice to have an easy thing to point to from the um, from her stim of the counting is is actually my own um, and uh, just all but pretty much all the thought process and everything else is exactly where I am. So it's kind of just nice as a little handy guide if anybody ever wants to know. Oh, Chuck, what's your experience like? I just say. Well, um, pretty much exactly what uh, the thought process is of this narrator, and, and that makes it really convenient. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I think we talked in our, or I know we talked in our episode about how refreshing it is to read an explicitly autistic character, kind of period, but, you know, especially written by an autistic writer, because I feel like usually when non-autistic people write autistic characters, it's like pretty pretty cringe it's yes it's it's rough i i am still at the point it's kind of all all kind of marginalized communities go go through this where um the representation always starts uh from buckers outside of that community because that's kind of the only way to get it going i mean something like broke back mountain is maybe the perfect example when that came out that was it was very heroic for those great actors to play those roles. They were getting pats on the back everywhere because of the time that it was. And there were no big name queer actors who could do that role. And then as time goes on, you kind of start to evolve and you say, well, if we were to make that now, we would make dang sure it was two gay actors in those roles. Um, Autism for me is the same way in that there's some characters that I see, I'm like, well, that buckaroo's not autistic and for a long time, I just was thinking, I'm so happy to see autistic characters in this. I don't even heckin' care. And now I'm so glad that we're finally to the point where where we can say, well, that's an autistic character and they're played by, by an autistic person. I am so, I'm doubly excited for that. So I, I do like uh, helping out with that and being a part of that. And I like... Um, you are right in that a lot of the time, if a neurotypical buckaroo trying to write that is going to have a pretty dang hard time not exaggerating and not, um, it just, it's a hard thing for neurotypical buckaroos to really pin down, I think. Yeah, totally. Are you still, I, I remember um, one or both of you, I can't really remember. So was someone um, considering uh, looking for an um, autism diagnosis on this pod? I was, and I got it, so. Oh, wow. Hey, congrats. Welcome to Thank the club. You. Thanks. I want to I wanna dang you to have a confetti cannon and, and some balloons. <laughs> Congratulations on the autism. Thank you. Yeah. It's a huge relief to be able to, I don't know, let myself live authentically and not try to like. I'm so glad. Well, I, I, it is, it, it, it really means a lot to me to see a world where, you know, I am, I am older than 
than the both of you. And I, and, and I, for me, it was an exciting thing. It was a celebration. And at the time that was very rare. Even now, I think those who don't really know, they, they see it as just like a thing, terrible thing. And it's so not, I really think it's, um, you know, there are so many artists and so many, I just, it's, I, 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 I think it's an amazing thing. And um, I am so glad that you took it that way. I, I think that is just, it, it, it is, gives me a lot of faith in the direction things, uh, that things are headed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, be, being able to like identify why things are happening and like figure out what I can do about it. I mean, obviously I'm still learning, but like, I don't know, I very recently just for the first time allowed myself to just like have a nonverbal episode and not force myself to talk to my partner through it, but like went and got my phone and was like, can we text? I can't talk right now, but like I can text with you in the same room. Oh, wow. Um, It was so much better because I could be like, yes, I want pizza for dinner. Here's what I want on it instead of like exhausting myself completely and like, you know, trying to be able to communicate through it so yes yeah i think and there's tools now you can you can then google it instead of saying uh google how how is a person who and then a list of 20 different things how is this this particular person uh any advice for them and then right. you can just say you know autism resources um right. so that alone is is pretty dang cool yeah and we've always operated sort of from the perspective of like you know we both have like adhd and a variety of other fun slash not fun brain stuff and we're like the more that we talk about it on air the like because even as things get better it's still kind of like people don't want to talk about you know if they have autism or if they like have depression or if they have like all these you know any these other kind of brain stuff and we're like okay the more we talk about it and just make it a regular part of our conversation that's not a like oh it's yeah so terrible or like we need to you know we're trying to like you know what whatever kind of terrible things people yes. are trying to do we're just like it's just it's how people are this is just what people do it's fine we can still have fun yes did you so you uh have adhd as well i do oh yes. my god that's cu- cousins that's awesome yes. cousins yeah that's yes. uh, that's pretty cool that's the that's the whole dang team right here yeah yeah (laughs) um that was one of the things in reading camp damascus that i really appreciated was like having this sort of more complete picture i think than you often get because i think a lot of times it's like just from you know holistic authors it's like just the bad stuff or then like people can overcorrect i think especially on tiktok to be like here's all the cool stuff about autism um, and I just really appreciated the fact that I think two different times in the book, Rose has like an autistic meltdown and that it's not like overly dwelt upon, but also it's not, not there. Like yes. she just hits a point and she's like, and then I just had to go cry. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it just, yes, it just kind of is. I think that's maybe that's what I'm saying too about my, my writing in general has always had a tone. I think you could describe it as a neutral a neutral tone and and I, that's what i like i i do just like um tell me what happened if i'm reading an author and it's too just um I, if i feel like they're trying to impress me with their words um it, it really bothers me to me it's just 
let, let like don't don't waste the reader's time tell them what happened and a lot of the time that results in a kind of a neutral i guess someone say uh, autistic tone of just um kind of going through like this is this is what's what's going on and i think that um allowing rose to do that um yeah i don't know i i, I think it, that it just makes for a very unique reading experience and i'm glad that it's resonating i'm just glad that it's resonating with others because i i don't really think you can fake that that's probably what we were talking about with them um if a neurotypical author tries to do that i just it's a difference in really specific brain function down to the sentence down to the way that um that autistic people think about the world is just that this is this is the room. I think I've I've seen critiques of the book saying, um, and and I will I should hedge this by saying reviews are very very good. So when I talk about critiques, this is you know very very rare. Um, but there is kind of this critique of um, oh no one would react matter of fact to these things, and I just think. I don't know. I, I probably would because that's the way I think about things. I collect the information, I synthesize it, and then I just make the choice and I say, well, that's that. Um, in, in Camp Damascus, the way that Rose kind of realizes that she's gay is essentially that. It's just saying, well, all the evidence is here. Looks like I'm gay. And um, while some found that unrealistic, I think a lot of others, especially, you know, um, neurodivergent buckaroos think well no that's that's kind of the way i see things i stack it up and it doesn't have to be a whole um you know a whole meltdown over oh i'm queer what am i gonna do um that happens sometimes and that's um that's a valid experience but it's also valid to just kind of see it and think well okay i guess this is uh, the way i am yeah i mean literally seventh grade eighth grade i like developed my first crush that made me realize i was bisexual and like came out to my friends the next day it was like there you go the thing about myself <laughs> yeah that's actually pretty similar to me and like made out with like a lady i'm like oh i guess i'm not as straight as i thought i was that's fine okay and yeah. then just yeah. carried on about my that, life <laughs> that and you know that experience is mm. you know there's a lot of that i don't know if it's i think maybe Kind of, you know, the the neurotypical cishet people um, kind of are so used to media of kind of queer tragedy that when it doesn't, that when someone just accepts it, they think that something must have been written wrong uh, because they, they think, well, that can't possibly be how it goes. I've read a hundred different stories where everyone has to have a dang panic attack when they realize that they're queer. And, um, you know, that does happen sometimes, but, you know, that, that is really not the only story. Um, and so I do think that a lot of that, it's funny that it seems like that criticism, it is rare, but when it does happen, it does seem to be from uh, non-queer buckaroos. Yeah. So should we zoom like way out and just ask, tell us about the creation of this book? Like what inspired you? Why this story? Yeah. Well, um, you know, you, well, gosh, there's a lot I could say about this. I mean, the, 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 the initial kind of thought about it was, um, as I did with straight, which we already talked about, that was kind of a deconstruction of kind of the zombie subgenre. And then this is, you know, a bit of a deconstruction of the religious horror genre. And I have always found 
you know, I find the religious horror subgenre pretty interesting because there's something kind of inherently, um, I'm, I've been trying to think of the right word, maybe I would say problematic about it in the sense of if we are assuming that these demons are real, then we're also saying that kind of every fire and brimstone part of the Bible is real and that there are so many big questions that come from that that no one ever asks. Like, you know, okay, um, my daughter is possessed by a demon. I I care about that a lot. But also, what does this mean for weird people? What does this mean for life after death? What does this mean for, you know, if you just assume that religion is real, it's almost like on a broader level, there are way bigger questions than whenever personal problems these these stories are dealing with. And so I kind of took that and ran with it in, in, in a sort of curious way of, well, what questions would I have? You know, a, a demon, if a demon is, what, what is that? Just an abstract idea that pops out at you? What, what if that, what if we handle that like it's a species? You know, what if we handle hell like it's just another place instead of these abstract ideas um, kind of, what would that look like and what would that mean for the church and what would that mean for maybe some of the more insidious parts of evangelical practice? Um, I think that's probably the best explanation of where that that came from. I love that. I don't consume a ton of horror, but like I listen to a lot of the Black Tapes podcast, which I know Jesse you've listened to. Chuck, I don't know if you have. No, it's, what is it? It's a horror podcast. Okay. It's like pretty good, but it definitely, spoilers, uh, gets to a point where it's like demons are real. And I feel like that's when it really started losing me. It was when I was like, uh, mm, but like, I don't really feel comfortable (laughs) existing in like this universe where like demons are real, like. Not from a I'm scared standpoint, but from a like, that means that like Catholicism is real. Can we just not, you know? Exactly. Yes. And no one, I, I, this is such a, well, dang, but I, maybe this is an autistic thing that we're both relating on to, to think that, but it is, I think it's also a queer thing. I think it's just the, um, you know, if, if that's true, I feel like the next step, if you're a curious person is what does that mean for everything else? Because there's so much that that just starts to mean. And um, I think, you know, in our previous talks, we talked about curiosity, not to bring it back to old scoundrel JK, but um, she does seem like a fundamentally uncurious person in the way that she writes. Yeah. And 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 I, I think that the, uh, the curiosity is where the fun is. And that's, um, that's, I guess, what I'm trying to do with these horror things. I should also say... To give you uh, both some big credit, um, a lot of what Camp Damascus is about is about uh, capitalism. And uh, I think that um, we talked about this with Straight, about how, you know, to tell that story, um, I kind of had to ignore, speaking of the implications, the capitalist implications of that story. Um, And that I kind of, I guess I kind of had to choose to ignore that because it just, there's only so so much you can do with the story, and that's the story I want. I wanted to tell a different story. With this, um, this is very much about capitalism, ultimately, I think. And so it's really about um, you know using religion for hate, but also if if you 
inject capitalism into religion, where is that going to take you? Where is um, where is the idea of the ends justifying the means? Where is that going to get you? Uh, and I think it gets you to a pretty scary place. Yeah, definitely. And unfortunately, very topical in <laughs> for right now. Uh- <laughs> well, absolutely, yeah. kind of, kind of evergreen in a strange way. I mean, I, so gosh, I've. I've been getting asked a lot, um, what's the difference between self-publishing and traditional publishing? And it, and it is the time. This book has been done for two years, you know, and normally if I write a tingler, it comes out in 24 hours and I can kind of co- comment on a news item of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the one thing I was worried about was I was thinking, well, you know, is is this story going to be relevant? And what's so interesting is that, you know, these these thing um conservative scoundrels every they just they repeat what they're doing over and over again so their playbook is so stale that even two years later if i'm writing queer whore it's still relevant because you know look at the way that um that um that these scoundrels talk about trans people right now it is literally word for word what they said about gay people in in the 70s and 80s um you know you start with uh oh we don't want uh we don't want these people to have rights and then everyone kind of pushes back and says well that's a little much and then they say oh but what about the children um right. they did that with gay people they do that with trans people and then they say oh but what about the bathrooms if you go into a bathroom with a gay person who knows what they're gonna do and that that's what they do with trans people so if if you kind of really track the conservative talking points they're so dang lazy that um you know i thought that maybe by the time you know my, my traditionally published books came out that it wouldn't necessarily be relevant and I just realized, no, they just kind of don't stop doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah, I think that, yeah. <laughs> I feel like the like American conservative playbook is just write the same four talking points every 15 yes. years. And it's like, I actually remember your last talking, this is the, how is everyone not realizing this is just the same talking point? <laughs> they're running the, uh, they're running the Mad Libs playbook. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Really, oh my god, it's true. It was also fun that you pulled a bunch of demon names of demons that are like in, I don't say popular culture, but like in the lore. They're all. I, I have a hard time. I've I've talked about this a little bit. I always say, yeah, the fun thing about Camp Damascus is um is that all the demons are real, and then I say, well, I don't mean real, but I mean. <laughs> That they are actually named for demons that uh, people have written it out before. They are if actually pretty much every there's so that's what I do think is neat. There's a lot of re- references to Dante that uh, that, that uh, Dante's Inferno that are are true. There's a lot of you know the Holy Family and the Mayfly is a painting that is referenced, and that's that is a real painting. So all the kind of conspiracy things that weave together, including the names on the name tags, are all kind of from the um, external uh, spiritual teachings, religious teachings. Yeah, we wanted to know if you would tell us a little bit about what researching the book was like, especially the demon stuff. We were like, what is it like to research demons? Please tell us. (laughs) Oh, gosh. I mean, well, I couldn't do it too much because some of them have, some of them have personalities that kind of, 
I thought, well, th- this is, I kind of, what I wanted it to look like is um, really what the book's about is that there's these demons, they're hanging out, they have their culture, which in, in my head, it's not really talked on, but I do, I don't think they're great folks. I think they are torturing people. I think that's part of whatever culture they have in their society. Actually, you know what? I can get into this because I, you know, I, I, when you're writing a book, there's kind of the level that you know everyone's going to get. And then there's kind of the lower level that you kind of write for yourself in your own head. And you're, you think, well, that doesn't ever have to exist, but you kind of create it. Mm-hmm. Um, I did kind of create in my head a culture, kind of how the demons operate. And they are not great people. I kind of thought, what if there is a species, um, you know, they live in this icy wasteland um, that is on a different timeline. And I thought, what if this species for sustenance um pain was their sustenance they didn't eat food but the emotion of of pain is is kind of how they survive and gives them makes them grow it's a very dark idea but i just thought um to go along with i mentioned this in the book you know sharks have magnetism there's a bunch of senses that as humans we don't understand so that's kind of the culture is they they kind of have these warring groups of demons normally it's probably each other that they're just fighting and and really not a good place to be. And that sometimes they also have this natural ability to phase through material. And I thought, well, eventually, if they can do that through space, maybe they start phasing through timelines and kind of picking off scraps to kind of torture. And that the church has kind of taken this species that was doing this anyway and really directed them and created their own sins. Uh, and so the demons are not homophobic uh they're just kind of being forced to put their efforts in that in that realm um so that's kind of what i thought about for the demons i don't even i'm now i'm rambling but um that's kind of what i thought behind the scenes is their species i love that i want to use that as like a quick plug for your patreon because honestly like timeline tuesdays is my favorite thing about being on your patreon oh my gosh so thank you yeah. I always, when I do that, I think, does anyone think, why am I doing this every Tuesday? And then I do it, and then I think, oh, I, that's a real cute little little guy there. Um, uh, and so I, I just, yeah, I really like, uh, I like doing that. And thank you so much. I, the timeline, you know, that has been a signature of the Tingleverse forever. And it's kind of fun, you know, I think that as I release more horror um, it will become clear the way some of these stories connect uh, and the way that there are themes in erotica tingleverse, including Harriet Barber, actually, um, that actually do connect to the horror tingleverse. And one being timelines and then the other being kind of what's outside of the timelines, which is the void, right. um, kind, of is, uh, kind of runs through the horror as well. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean... You know, that's part of straight, too, is is there's this big hole in reality and what's beyond that? Why is it causing this? And so, yeah, thank you. I, I, I do think there is a theme that kind of runs through the Tingleverse that I hope Buckaroos, who've been around for a long time, can get a kick out of out of that stuff. Definitely. Yeah. And I, and I hope our listeners who maybe lean more towards science fiction than fantasy get into Chuck Tingle, everyone. Yes, there you go. It, it 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 will fulfill all your your timeline, your 
Time, fun times. Oh my gosh. Yeah, what, are, what are words? All your timeline Your dreams. timeline desires. Well, you there know, you go. Speaking <laughs> of fantasy and sci-fi, I do, I feel like that is the twist of Camp Damascus is that um, a lot of religious horror is fantasy. You really think about it. Uh, and that the big twist of this book is, oh, this is not fantasy. This is dark science fiction. And I think that for religious horror, that uh, that's just that's not the way it is played. It is always magic and uh, ceremony and ritual, and in this, it is uh, technology, which I loved. Yeah, we like honestly <laughs> spent probably five minutes talking about how much we appreciated that about the book when we had our conversation about it. Oh, dang. So flattering. Now that I'm, I, we talked a little bit before about having busy Chuck's been, but then I'm got I gotta go back. Well, um, you know what? I'm just gonna listen when this episode uh, when this episode comes out. Then I'll hear the uh, I'll hear the talk before. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm playing out. I'm playing out this some thing where before you just trash the book and then you say, "Well, Chuck's never gonna listen to this," so now we'll interview him <laughs> and he won't even know. I would not have emailed you the episode if we trashed the book. I would have been like, "We're gonna record that later." Uh- oh yeah. <laughs> There you go. Um, actually, so when you were talking about, you know, your your level of developing things that don't necessarily make it into the book, I had a question. Now I have to find it in the notes. Yeah. So one of the things that I was ruminating on a lot with the book was like parents of people who send their kids or parents who send their kids to Camp Damascus, but who don't live in neverton how much do they know about what's going to happen to their kids at the camp like are they prepared for demons and like coughing up mayflies or do they have no idea so when when i was writing it what i thought was um you know people who are in neverton uh especially like rose's parents are basically they're basically doing it you know i mean they know everything um and 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 the kingdom of the pine as a church is if you're in the church uh, deep enough, you kind of have already uh, ascribed to the idea that the ends always justify the means. And so uh, if you're in that deep, you kind of know, and you're thinking, I'm not super comfortable with this, but th- we're getting the results and we're saving people that way. Because honestly, it's a lot of the way that the church works anyway it's not that far-fetched to think which is kind of truly terrifying um and then i do think that there would be some involved that would kind of have weird feelings about it though which is kind of rose's mom for example is supposed to be someone who is kind of this is her whole life she, she can't leave but um She's not exactly, she, she knows that there's something wrong here. And there's kind of nothing that she could do with, about it without upending her entire life, her entire community. So she can't really run away like Rose can. Right. And then I think that, um, I would say that outside of it, I see it as a sort of a, um, you are invited to know more if you want to and if we can trust to, but no one ever takes that because... All they know is that their kid is, quote, not gay anymore. I see it as a sort of a, hey, if you really want to know, come in and talk to us. uh, And no one ever does. 
is kind of the way that I, I thought of it because the results, they're actually getting the results or an appearance of the results, right. as it were. So that is kind of how I saw it. And I also, you know, it is mentioned in it um, very briefly that Camp Damascus and, and King of the Pine bought this machine from someone else. So there is another organization that I think could maybe be brought up in later books. It kind of is because I've written more books since since Camp Damascus, actually. They're just not out yet or not announced yet. But um, there is a place where, you know, this this machine uh, was bought from where this machine could be used for other things. You know, you could get uh, if you wanted to, you could get uh, people to stop smoking with it or anything like that that you wanted someone to do. Um, but I just wanted this story to focus on you know, it's a queer story, so I wanted to focus on that. But um, it is kind of these broader implications are very uh, interesting. So that's a very good question. Honestly, it makes sense. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Noah wants to know how the uh, bigoted sausage is made. That is, you know what? Thank. I just rambled, but that is a perfect <laughs> summary. Is I, I feel like, you know, I it, it's one of those things where like, and and I actually I think that these camps are kind of the real ones are kind of like that anyway where a lot of these parents know no matter what like that's not a that's a traumatic experience regardless of where you're at politically i I think that they know that it's not great to kidnap your own children but they kind of just don't want to deal with it and they just think okay well i'm not gonna ask too many questions about this yeah jesse i feel like i've been talking a lot to you of stuff that you want to um i think that we should maybe ask a little bit about if how much you can talk about bury your gaze which uh, oh, i know yes. is the next book on the to come out in here's what i here's books. what i can say about that i think what i know of sharing our talks over the years i think that you're both gonna really like it i think that um there's a reason why I'm not even I'm not even supposed to announce it yet. Uh, I, I I got a I got a dang email from my publisher about you know kind of when I can tell people to go start pre-ordering and everything. And during that time, you know, bookstores have to put it in their catalog, so it's it's going up on kind of quietly going up on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all that to say, oh okay, here's the little summary, here's the button. So that's already when I announced to go pre-order it. And um, everyone in the publisher says, okay, Chuck, well, you got, got to hold off. And the summary alone on dang Amazon went dang viral on Tumblr. That's how much I think buckaroos, certain types of buckaroos, I may call them fandom buckaroos, uh, are going to enjoy this. That it dang, it's already, it was charting at the number one queer horror and I haven't even announced it yet. Just because, um, because I dang of what it's about. Um, so I can say what's on the on the thing is that there is a a character named Misha who is a screenwriter who is asked to uh, kill off some characters and um, then has to uh, deal with the consequences of what happens when uh, he refuses to do it. And um, that story. Uh, I think bears a striking resemblance to uh, something that happened uh, regarding the show Supernatural. Oh, interesting. Yes. I don't know. Did you ever watch the show Supernatural? 
I watched the first five seasons, but I am pretty familiar with the uh, the level of queer baiting with Supernatural. Lark, I'll I'll fill you in later. But there's all there's all kinds of stuff going on there. But I will say that the name Misha uh, was intentionally picked, and a lot of a lot of Supernatural fans are just very excited about this book, and um, I think that it is both. Kind of, I mean, it's called Barrier Gaze, so if you're familiar with that trope, you know what it's about. But um, I think that these fans who are very excited because of that supernatural connection are, I think, you know, you, you have that and you think, oh, that's kind of a big uh, coincidence. I will say uh, not as much of a coincidence as you think. Uh, it is, um, I would say the tone of it is... Um, it's more horror in that it is kind of scarier and, uh, you know, for those that don't like gore, I'm sorry, but there's some, it, it's a, it is a very horror. It is very adult, but um, it is also, um, I would say, very fun and also uh, pretty dang funny. Uh, tonally, you know, the closest thing that I could think of is uh, something like Scream where it functions as a real horror movie, but it is also kind of a commentary on horror movies. So I think that is kind of where Barrier Gaze fits. I can't, I can't wait. Sounds amazing. Um, we'll definitely be covering that probably next Halloween, question mark, if that timeline... Oh, yes. Well, it, um, so the way that I, it is set up right now, I'm, I, I think I will have a horror novel every summer. I think okay. that that's just, it'll be once a year, because um, Barrier Gaze is going to come out in July 9th. And uh, against the wishes of everyone else, because I'm here, I'll just say, um, you know, look, you can probably pre-order it now. And pre-ordering does really help authors. So if you're one of these fandom buckaroos getting riled up by what I'm talking about right now, then um, uh, yeah, go pre-order Barrier Gaze. All right, I will put a bookshop.org link in the show notes for that. Yeah. There you go. Yes. All right. Yeah, I I pre-ordered I pre-ordered Camp Damascus uh pretty early. Very helpful. It is so dang important. It's like uh, it's just built into the industry of how where where your book goes and so it's all based on pre-orders. So, if you want to support an author even more than just buying the book, a pre-ordering a book is about the best thing you can do just to support an, an author actually it's i'm i am surprised and hey thank you for doing it with camp damascus because that was um it was a dang um usa today bestseller so you know we got on a bunch of bestseller lists and stuff because it was pre-ordered well deserved yeah chuck i'm very dedicated to you actually legitimately getting a hugo award so on top of all your other accolades that you deserve so everyone pre-order mm. bear your gaze and buy camp damascus thanks your gaze. <laughs> and if you're a hugo voter remember that uh that a very good uh, horror novel that you know does have sci-fi and fantasy elements eligible for best novel just putting it out there hugo award voters i think um you know, the Stoker Awards seem to really like old Chuck. So I almost think that that, that would be maybe more in the cards than a Hugo, but, but we'll see. Why not both, you know? Yeah. I like that attitude. I agree. All of the things. Um, what have we not asked you about that you would like to talk to our listeners slash us about? 
Oh my gosh. Um, spending every moment of every dang day that you have the capacity for, don't wear yourself out, but um, when you have a, if you have energy to spare and you want to prove love is real, you have the power to do that just by a, a little bit of, um, a little bit of intentional thought, a little bit of taking a moment to think, you know what, I'm going to use this moment to prove love. That's kind of all it takes. And I, I think uh, if every interview can end with the, that, uh, the world would be a little better place to just get that reminder out there. And and when the buckaroo sitting in front of you in the dang grocery line says, oh, dang, I, I, I'm uh, $10 short, you say, okay, here you go. That's, that's kind of what it's all about, I think. One of our patrons commented, uh, we released the our discussion about the book on Patreon already, even though it won't come out to the public until October 17th or something. Um, yes. Someone commented and was like, I was having this like crisis about like self-expression and art and like I didn't know what to do and then I just stopped and thought to myself what would Chuck Tingle do and it fixed everything (laughs) there you go yeah that's That's very kind I appreciate it oh wait so when I have one last thing to say to you um what October what when is this coming out 17th I think okay well if you're looking for a last minute Halloween costume patched uh patch it is right there get a red polo a dang name <laughs> tag and some long long hair um i'm i've heard rumors buckaroos have told me that they are they have camp damascus costumes this year but um i am i am excited to see if anyone follows through on that i'm sure people will that it's what a perfect costume you know it's it is kind of, it's easy and it's any costume with a name tag, it like really helps so that people can't yeah. be confused about what you're dressed as. That's true. Especially for folks who uh, maybe are ex-fundy Catholics, if you happen to have any of your weird Jesus sayings t-shirt, then oh, you, yeah. could go, you, you could go as Rose and then Pancha it. Just grip. Oh, that's a great two, couple's Two costume. people Halloween costume, just idea right there. In- incredible. Incredible. <laughs> yes. Yes, and if you have a whole group, then just start covering the Tingleverse and go as thanks, Snape and Harriet. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> a Parasaur Lapis um, costume would be like, I mean, that's like Mardi Gras level. It's kind of like. hard to pull off. That's a hard one to pull off. You gotta it's get a very, out the paper mache. Very specific dinosaur uh, head shape for yeah. that one. Yeah. Um, Jesse, do you have questions left? Um. I have one more question, if there's time for it. Oh, yeah. I'll, of course. All right. So, well, number one. Uh, so I read a lot of your takeover of tourbooks.com. Oh, great. And I, I especially love your post with the mixtapes for Rose, Saul, and Willow. But there's like a ton of like musical references in, in Camp Damascus. And so I just kind of want to know what other, you know, music inspired the book like you know what music you were envisioning you know oh, in the yes. book just well i did have so the scene that i kind of came up with first because i like to work cinematically with set pieces was the end and i thought what is the most cathartic thing that you could possibly have it was then you know black metal playing while uh then demons are just tearing through the the fundamentalist camp counselors i thought wow how are we gonna get there and uh so i think that um metal specifically 
was a kind of a big a big part of this book, um, uh, even from the beginning. Um, and as a big time, I, I do like my loud tunes. Uh, so so that is important. The, the problem that I had was, well, you know, Rose doesn't know pop culture. So where I would normally kind of put some actual names in, there, there's not a lot of them in, in Camp Fantastic because she, she just doesn't know. Um, but I thought, well, maybe she'd know uh, or get to know some of these uh, Christian hardcore bands and metal bands. But then what happened was I would go through them and I thought, well, it's okay if Saul's listening to this, but I started to actually research some of the bands like that. And I thought, well, your tunes are good, but I kind of don't like what you're saying on the side. <laughs> so I'm just not going to name you. So there's a few of those bands, even a couple that I thought uh, that I, I like that I thought I, I can go as far as to, um, maybe stream this a once or twice on Spotify, but I'm not going to put it in a book so that everyone goes and downloads it. Um, uh, as far as the music, you know, for uh, dang Willow, um, Willow is uh, represents kind of rhythm. I don't, did you talk about the Peter Pan stuff in your previous? We thing? ran out of okay. time. I got to say, do we have another dang three hours? Um, <laughs> Willow is a crocodile in Peter Pan. There's a pretty big allegory going going through all of Camp Damascus. In fact, Deconstructing Damascus is a series of four posts I did on Tumblr. And uh, I, I would say if you're interested in any of the kind of themes and stuff, to just go search that, Deconstructing Damascus. I bet if you search that on Bing or Google... It'll show up my my dang Tumblr posts. I'll link to it in the show notes. Jesse and I both read that. Um, and and so uh, Willow is is uh, the crocodile, and I just thought, okay, Willow was all about rhythm because the crocodile has has the clock in its uh, in its teeth and and time and also truth. I wanted Willow to be all about kind of the nature side of things, the opposite of the spiritual side. It's just kind of the concrete reality and so i kind of called that truth and um as a big fan of uh wu-tang myself i thought okay willow needs to listen to wu-tang that is <laughs> that is rhythm obviously uh and then that is truth you know it is um you know the, just kind of an unfiltered version of um especially you know three six chambers is uh just kind of raw truth and so that is why willow uh is a is a wu-tang fan I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's all of the things besides saying thank you so much for talking with us and for writing this book. Oh, dang. Thank you. I am I'm just I I mean, I love our yearly visits. I can't wait to come back next time. We'll talk about barrier gates. Yeah. Oh my god, I can't wait. I can't wait to read this book. Yeah. Yeah, what should I say? Do you want to, so we're going to link to where folks can pre-order the book, despite the fact that they're not supposed to yet, and to your Tumblr posts, and since I dropped your Patreon earlier, I'm going to put that in the show notes. Is there, where else do you want people to, like, find you on the internet if they're not already following you? Honestly, I think that's, I think that's it. I don't think that dang Twitter's going to be around much longer, so, you know. That's the thing about the internet. If you look up Chuck Tingle, they'll be able to find me. So I think that's fine. Okay, cool. 
yes, thank you so much. It's just always such a joy to talk to you. We appreciate it so much. All right. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, love is real. Love is real. Love is real, everyone. (laughs) Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of The Gaily Planet. I hope you all have the very best Halloween. And we will be back in two weeks with an episode about the Doctor Who double episode, Silence in the Library and Forest of the Dead. Um, If you were expecting Rocky Horror, that isn't happening until next year because we didn't sell enough tickets to do our live show, which is a bummer. But, you know, we understand this podcast is still in a weird transitional period, you know, as our audience figures out who they are and how they engage with us in a post Harry Potter world. That's fine. We have absolute faith that by next year we will be back in your hearts and in your ears and in new hearts and ears and we will sell out a live show no problem so just stay tuned for next halloween when we absolutely will be talking about rocky horror yeah i think that's everything thank you all so much and until next time